Welcome to another installment of Unraveling Religion. I'm your host, Joel Lessies, and I'm here with Professor Hilary Weaver from UB. I really, you know, I reached out to you to want to have a conversation about lifeways, spirituality, and um, trauma in, in, the, in the relation of those things. And so. Uh, yes, I'm Hilary Weaver. I am Lakota but I have lived in Western New York for most of my adult life where I'm adopted into the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. I'm a mom, I'm a community member, I'm a social worker, and I strive to be a a good human being. Uh, I do a lot of writing and a lot of presentations, especially for other social workers to help them understand diverse people that they may work with. A lot of my work is particularly around Indigenous peoples, but also around refugees as well. Social workers really need to be prepared to deal with the whole human being. Mm -hmm. And that includes somebody's culture, somebody's spirituality, who they may be as a parent, what their career is. So um, I, I try to use a holistic approach and teach my students to do so as well. Approaching life, the whole human being and migrants and uh, indigenous peoples. What is the bridge you'd like to build? What is the understanding that you would like to convey? Uh, it's, it's really interesting that you use that term bridge, because one of the few Lakota words that I was raised with was Iyashka, which is the bridge, the interpreter, the translator. And that was what my mom said I was born to be, mm. somebody who can interpret between worlds. And that, that's really been a lot of the function of my writing or my presentations or, or my work being that bridge. And I think in today's world, we need more people who can be that bridge, who can connect to others, because so often we, we are siloed. We, we're in our own little world with people who are like us, and we don't connect with others. So I'd really like to emphasize connections, bridges, um, interpreting between different types of people, different beings, because we're we're all connected. We're all related to each other. And we need to treat others respectfully as relatives. In In the vast sense and in the specific sense, it's all relations. It is all relations, right? I mean, exactly. And and so you're Lakota. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that community, about the Lakota community? Um, well, we are one of the larger Native American groups. Back in the day, the word Lakota would tell you um, who somebody is ethnically, where they live, what their language is, what their spirituality is. It was all wrapped up in being Lakota. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for some of your listeners, the word Lakota may be reminiscent of Dakota. Um, so that tells you a little bit about the region that we're originally from, the Great Plains region, North Dakota, South Dakota, a bit into Wyoming, Montana, Minnesota. And in fact, we're part of related groups. There's the Lakota, the Dakota, and the Nakota, which are three interrelated 
tribal groups um, still mostly around that Great Plains area. But a lot of my colleagues will joke that just about any place you go, there's at least one or two of us because <laughs> uh, we get around and we were always a mobile population um, following the buffalo herds. So just about any place in this country, you'll, you'll find a couple of us here and there. I'm curious, Hillary, regarding Lakota spirituality, it is relational. And I'm, I'm wondering, are you comfortable sort of speaking about some of the ways that it's expressed, some of the maybe ritual or some of the practice that offshoots of that, like how, how it's palpable, how spirituality is practiced? I, I can touch on that, but I also want to make sure that um, all your listeners understand the diversity. So there's no one way to be Lakota. There are Lakota people who maintain those traditional spiritual ways. There are whole congregations of Episcopalian Lakota. Uh, for instance, my, my mom was ordained as a deacon, and a lot of her service work was in South Dakota. They, they have specifically have the Bible and the Book of Common Prayer and the hymn, all of that in the Lakota language. So for some people, being Lakota ties in with certain interpretations of Christianity. For others, it's, it's more the traditional spirituality. But that sense of relationship to all, I think, is transcendent. It's there even for people who have become Christianized. The sense that we have connections to all beings, human and non-human. We are connected to the natural world that surrounds us. And we need to live in balance and relationship. There are are specific Lakota ceremonies, many of which continue today, like the Sundance. For many years, traditional spirituality was banned in the United States. A lot of people don't realize that because we think, oh, United States, freedom of religion. No, not for indigenous spirituality. Many traditional spiritual practices were banned, and some are still somewhat problematic today. For example, possession of eagle feathers is um, something that's considered very sacred and very spiritual for many Native people. That's criminalized in the United States. For some Native people, particularly in the Southwest, but some Lakota as well, um, they will use peyote, which is also criminalized and classified as a drug unless it's used in a very specific um, context within the Native American church. And then you have to document membership in the church. So a, a Lakota person who just wanted to use peyote as a spiritual tradition would not be free to do so. Um, a Lakota person who wanted to just pray with eagle feathers um, would still have to kind of look over their shoulder. Would that be, um, would the feathers be confiscated? Would they be prosecuted for that? I think that spirituality 
is a major part of the lives of many contemporary Native people, whether they consider themselves traditional or go to the ceremonies regularly. There is not generally a sense of of separation of church and state like we have in the United States. So spiritual traditions are so much a part of everyday life for many Lakota people. Just being thankful when you wake up in the morning and just, you know, I'm thankful for the beautiful sun today, or I'm thankful at the end of the day. So it's a spirituality based on gratitude, on respect, on thankfulness. And I think that goes beyond whether you participate in particular ceremonies for, for many Native people, it's just part of being a human being. That makes a lot of sense, Hillary. Makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for beautifully articulating that vision of what that's all about. You know, one of the things that we had spoken about prior to our entering into this conversation was sort of like the element of like trauma as, a, as an impetus to recognizing that if I just walk without being, uh, without truly seeing, without observance, I can get carried along currents that I don't, I don't even recognize time or the sanctity of life. You know, we just had this event, the shooting in Buffalo, trauma and its relation to maybe the human experience. Trauma is very prevalent, unfortunately. And it it does manifest in things like the horrific shooting that happened in my community over the weekend. The only way that I can keep putting one foot in front of the other is by grounding myself in thankfulness, in prayer, in recognizing that trauma does not sum up everything. It's part of the human experience, but so is beauty. So is grace. There's a lot of duality and a, a sense of balance. For example, the the blackberry is, is a medicine. And I, I remember a lot of people talking about this when, when COVID fir- first hit. It's, it, it's a medicine for, for Haudenosaunee people around here in Western New York. And that's positive and that's important and it's healing. But blackberries also have thorns. There is no healing without the thorn. But then there is no thorn without the healing. It's, it's balance. It's both. Many indigenous traditions talk about the balance of good and evil, or order and chaos, in order not to be immersed in our trauma, we can recognize that trauma does not sum us up. A terrible experience with with a mass shooting does not sum up who human beings are. There's a bit of a tendency sometimes to, to be reactionary and to think a certain type of person is evil. I, I don't really like the use of the word evil when when we're talking about human beings there there's good and there's bad in everybody and I hope that I would never get to a place where I only see that bad and characterize it as evil 
because that makes it seem like it's beyond redemption, beyond hope, beyond the possibility of change or growth. And it's especially when things seem so bad, when there is so much pain, like with the recent killings, that's when we need to reach for that good, for that mercy, for the people that are out there feeding people, making sure that because the one grocery store in the neighborhood is closed because of a mass shooting, that people can still access food. We need to reach for that, that grace beauty and 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 that is part of a a spiritual teaching and that I think that's the only way to get through trauma and not become immersed not sink lower and lower and lower into a cycle where trauma perpetuates trauma that perpetuates trauma we must find that good even in the darkest of times. And I I think that for the most part, that's what I've seen people try to do this week in Buffalo with the difficulties that we're having here. You know, it's so interesting that you talk about this perspective of not disconnecting from a member of the community. This, I can tell you, is like in my culture, in our culture, this cutting off, this disconnect of like, in so many, it, it becomes so easy to do, so natural to do. So everything is compartmentalized. It seems like so much is compartmentalized. It's sort of like, it doesn't exist if you don't see it. And so it's taken away from us what we don't like in a certain kind of way, if that makes sense. I really feel that that's a very important perspective that we are, we are a community with a vast array of actions and experiences, you know, to recognize that what that represents is also, it touches an element in us and, and, and to hold that space for that. Yeah. And I'm, I, I agree with what you say that often people are stuck in their compartments. And I think that's part of the problem. I think we need to reach out and connect with people. If If we're really living in relationship with other people, with other beings, it's impossible to dehumanize or deny somebody's humanity. We need to be connected to other people. I I don't know what the, the life circumstances of, but I want to, I want to be a part of preventing situations like that I want to be able to connect with people who are different than I am so they see my humanity so I see their humanity so we can't perpetrate violence upon each other to the same extent obviously that's a lot easier said than done Um, I've I've done some work with with people who were on death row. And the first time I was called to do that work, I I was asked to do it before I knew what that person had had done to to end up on death row. I mean, I kind of thought, well, you must have done something pretty bad to get there. But I didn't want to get stuck on the crimes that had been committed. I wanted to be able 
to see a human being, not just the sum of some terrible crimes, but I wanted to see a person be able to connect with a person, be able to understand a person. And then in my role as a social worker, help the judge be able to understand the person as well. And not just a list of horrible, horrible acts that that had been done. I think we must try to see each other's humanity, no matter how hard that is, and recognize that we are all related. Once I cut myself off and I say, you know, I could never be like that person, or I don't even recognize that as a person, that's a monster, that's evil, you know, then I'm setting up barriers And I'm part of the problem by not connecting with others who are different than I am. So I try to really live that value of being in relationship with others. Are there any practices or maybe formative experiences help you be that bridge from person to person, seeing the humanity of each person? Are there practices? Are there there formative experiences that you've had? Is it just intrinsic in who you are? I think it's something that needs to be nourished and replenished. The first time I was in San Quentin interviewing somebody on death row, and I I left that experience after hours of interviews, I was shaking, tense. I was, you know, I didn't even have words to, to communicate everything that I had experienced. Because there is a toxicity to that. There's a toxicity just to being in that sort of carceral environment with all of the fences and the barbed wire and the guards and the guns and the and the the lawyer who had brought me out there loaned me his car so I could just go, so I could just get out. Music was helpful, but I'll tell you, it wasn't nice soothing music that was relaxing because I was feeling and and this particular lawyer had these old tapes in his car it was this old beat up car with these old tapes they they really were tapes and it was the dead Kennedys and it was just being (laughs) able to blast this because I had so much anger and so many feelings just and so that sort of release was important yeah yeah and I drove and I drove and I drove to to Muir Woods, uh-huh. to the place where the redwoods meet the ocean. And I had my baby with me at that time. She was, boy, she was about six months old. Wow. And I was wearing my baby in one of those front packs. Yeah. And I was just holding on to my baby because that was life. And I had been immersed in this situation, talking to this fellow on death row, and death row is a place of death. And I wanted to embrace life. And I wanted to embrace the good. And the sun was setting over the ocean, and the tide was coming in. And the sunset was the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen. And I embraced life. And I was thankful that I was able 
to do that work, but also needed to do some sort of a cleansing. And I was barefoot in the sand with my baby and, you know, kind of dancing back and forth with the waves because they would come in and I didn't really want to get wet. So I was backing up, but, you know, sometimes I didn't back up fast enough and the waves would lap over my feet. And then I was trying to back faster and I fell down backwards in the sand. And it was a moment of joy and relief and release and I thought of I mean the sunset was gorgeous and I was also aware of the people that would never see the sunset again because their lives had been taken by the person that I had just been speaking with and I was well aware that the person on death row he, he was not seeing sunsets he was locked up and I was so thankful I, I was thankful in every sense of the word yes. for for the beauty of nature, for my daughter, for for the ocean, for the trees, for the sand, for for having the privilege of being able to be in that between space where I could speak to the person on death row and help interpret for the judge what had led to the acts that had landed this person on death row. And it's moments like that, that replenish. And, you know, I can't say enough about thankfulness and gratitude. I I think that most indigenous spiritual traditions are based primarily on gratitude. We start by thanking the day. We end by thanking the day all the gifts that have been given to us, kind of my day-to-day living expression of faith, I think. One of the things that I hear that I'd like to explore a little bit, the earth, our earth, our our mother earth, as a living healing entity for us, like as of itself, one of the healing aspects for you coming out of prison experience was just a wonderment of seeing deeply into the experience of what our environment and and mother earth and what mother earth provides. Yeah. And just being not even so much thinking and processing, but just being just absorbing that replenishment that was being given to me in that moment, what needed to happen. This notion that we have purpose that, as human beings, we are endowed or imbued with purpose. I don't know what the ways in which, or if it is even um, explored, but the notion of like, maybe like the Supreme or God or um, creator. And when you give thanks, is it to creator or it doesn't have to be, it can just be to the relations of environment and people. Yeah. um, I, absolutely define myself as a person of faith that is central to who I am as a human being. Most typically, I would use the word creator, but sometimes it's just, I am thankful. I am grateful for this day. I am in relationship. So it's not always addressed to a particular entity. I don't have a sense of creator is something 
separate. Creator is um, all. It, it's the earth. It's the sky. It's it's the the breeze. It's the sun, and and they're different incarnations or different manifestations, but it just it just is, and I believe that it is beyond human capacity to fully comprehend or define creator or the sacred. I I think we get ourselves into trouble when we think, you know, yeah, I can define this. Um, It's written in my book here. And this is exactly what the sacred looks like. That's when we get into divisions and arguments with people who have a different understanding. To me, it's perfectly okay that other people understand the spiritual in a different way than I do. That that yeah. makes perfect sense. Why would I have the monopoly on understanding this and feel that I need to force this down everybody else's throat? Right. Right. Um, so I, I fully believe that there is no monopoly on truth. There's no one way to understand the sacred. And I wouldn't try any try to tell anybody else how they should express this or understand this. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I was raised sort of like a reform, reformed Jewish person. And uh, I became interested in the esoteric or mystical teachings of Judaism, Kabbalah. And I I wanted to share this teaching with you because I thought it might be interesting that um, it's taught by the rabbis that above each blade of grass is an angel whispering to the grass, grow, grow, grow. That's beautiful. I think that people of different faith traditions who are really grounded in that faith tradition probably have a lot more in common with each other than any sort of divisions. Because if you really appreciate the sacred, however you happen to experience that or define that, you're going to connect with somebody else who has a connection with the sacred. I couldn't agree more, Hillary. I couldn't agree more. I'm just wondering, could you talk a little bit more about your academic work and the bridge that you are in in community and um, sort of well, anything that you like regarding sort of maybe your, your academic aspect? Okay. Um... Yes, I'm, I'm a social worker, and I've been in social work academia for quite a few decades now. Um, probably one of my favorite things is, is writing. And I, I had a, a book come out recently that I had the great privilege to edit. It, actually, it came out on New Year's Eve. It, it's uh-huh. the Handbook of International Indigenous Resilience. And so I cultivated chapters from indigenous people and allies around the world talking about what indigenous resilience looks like in various contexts. And I I was just emailing with somebody a day or two ago, and and she had said that the massacre that just happened in, in Buffalo reminded her of the Christ Church mosque massacre a few years ago in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I thought, yeah, and this book that I just edited, somebody wrote about that as an example of indigenous healing and resilience, how everybody in New Zealand, not just the Maori indigenous people, 
but everybody really kind of resonated with these ideas of indigenous healing and we are one community and we are related to each other and we will not let hate dominate. I'm like, yeah, that, that was in the book that I edited. And there were other chapters in there on, well, let's see, I had a chapter from Guatemala talking about um, multiple generations of indigenous women and how they had survived and kept language traditions alive. Um, I had chapters on earthquakes in Nepal. I had a chapter on tattooing as a sacred practice among the Maori. I had a chapter on Hawaii, um, indigenous Hawaiians protecting Mauna Kea with the telescope. So one of the most exciting things that I get to do at this stage of my career is hold the door open for others. Because I, you know, I, I'm a full professor here in Buffalo. I, I have tenure, I have rank, I, I, I'm established. So I have these connections. I have this privilege. I can open the door for people who would not normally come through the door. So in my book, I had, I had some students writing chapters. I had activists writing chapters. I had people who didn't speak English as their first language writing chapters in English anyway. Mm. And I was able to help bring those voices forward. It really helped me too. So when I was shut in during the pandemic, people would send me these chapters of resilience and healing. And I would be like, yeah, it <laughs> is going to be okay. Yeah. It is going to be okay. Yeah. So that, that's one of my favorite things um, with academia, being able to write and being able to allow space for other people to get important messages out. That's, that sounds, that's amazing. Sounds wonderful. And I got an email just a day or two ago that they are releasing a new edition of it, printed a whole new batch to get the language right. So the indigenous Hawaiian people are, are respected. Is there anything else that you'd like to share or anything that, that you might want to put, put light on? Yeah, I'll share two quick thoughts. Spirituality, in my understanding, is an integral part of what it means to be a human being. So for me, I, I never separate it. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's part of being human. It's part of being, it's part of being part of creation. It's just natural. And earlier today, I, I was thinking of the title of your podcast, Unraveling Religion. And I want to push back on that a little bit. Please. Because rather than unraveling, we, we got enough things that are unraveled. Let's weave it into everything. <laughs> Let's connect because yeah. it should be an integral part of not just surviving, but yeah. thriving and living our best life and being kind and compassionate and in relation to others. So let, let's not unravel. Let's, let's weave it in. I love that. And maybe the next incarnation of this show will be weaving spirituality. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I think I should get a little footnote there. Give me you some. Definitely will. You definitely will, Hillary. Yeah. I love that though. Yeah, no, I I do. I, I think that the um reality is we we rest in the the nestle of reality. We we rest in the nestle of reality. And this is shared. 
when we honor and respect and express kindness and reverence and sanctity, we are just simply affirming what is already present. And I think the work that we share, Hillary, hopefully, we slowly erode like water in the stone, the ignorance of what is present in, in, in everyone and in people. Let the light shine, to let our light shine collectively. So I want to thank you so much, Hillary, for, for taking time with me. It's a joy to meet you, to know you, to share this time with you, the sanctity of it. Thank you for your perspective. And um, I'm so grateful that you came on today. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. And I hope our paths cross again soon.